0: You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts,
1: Joe Lanza. X out. Go listen to some boring podcast where where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. <laughs> Give me I name. like you. Who delivers I, this guy in a big Joe, spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, him. in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. A proud member of the Audio Boom family of podcasts and available to 93 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, you are listening to the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. I am... Internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist, as heard on BBC Radio, the most compelling voice in wrestling media, the king of banter, the Kent Kobashi of sex, a reasoned and well-explained man, as quoted by Forbes Magazine, Joe Lanza. And it feels real good to finally get all my monikers in for an introduction to this show because you know Rich Creach is not here this week, so he's not here to totally bury me in the intro. Like he he likes to do. So I'm able to get all of my accolades front and center and give myself a proper introduction. How you doing? Big week, lots of things to discuss. Mr. Longpaws is here to take you through it. I think I'm going to add that to my list of monikers. Mr. Longpaws. You get plenty of those today. We're going to talk about the World Tag League and, of course, Alpha versus Omega. Jericho and Omega shooting two big angles this week, one at the World Tag League show, and then one at the uh, Wrestle Kingdom presser, which was cut short because those two men went at it again. We are going to break down both angles and we're going to break down the match itself. And we're going to break down what it means for New Japan and what it means for wrestling. And I'm really going to take you through and teach a lot of people a lesson on what's going on here. Because so many people are lost when it comes to this Jericho Omega match. And they're so off base with what's going on. ROH Final Battle is coming up this weekend. About half of you will hear this show before Final Battle. The other half will hear the show after Final Battle is over. But we'll preview it anyway. WWE has a pay-per-view this weekend as well. Clash of the Champions. And we'll take a look at that. The Tokyo Sports Awards came out. We'll blow through those quickly and I'll explain to you um, what winners were deserving, what winners were not deserving. And really, they're just... they're so many politics involved with those awards that it's hard to take them seriously, but I think they're fun to go through. So we'll talk about the Tokyo sports awards, but we're going to lead off with the mixed match challenge announced by WWE this week. I think there's a couple different ways to approach this, uh, this topic, but first I want to look at it from a business perspective. I know rich, when the announcement was made, had tweeted out something to the effect of, why not put this on the network and, and, and try to uh, drum up some network subs? And I can understand where Rich was coming from. But uh, I think that's before Rich had all the information. It turns out Facebook is paying WWE an undisclosed amount of money to air this thing. So, you know, you're talking about producing an extra show So if someone's going to pay you to do it, you take the money, as opposed to producing an extra show, sticking it on the network, and then crossing your fingers and hoping for the best that you can generate some subscriptions off of it. I mean, it's just straight money, so you take it. It's going to be a 20-minute show, and I believe there's going to be 12 weeks, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have that down in my notes. All I have written down here is it goes from January 16th to April 3rd. So right up to WrestleMania. Yeah, so that's that's yeah, that's 12 weeks. I believe it's a single elimination tournament. Mixed tags. Not intergender, but mixed tags, and we all know, or we should know, the difference between WWE style mixed tags and creepy, dark web intergender. We know what the differences between those two kinds of wrestling are. So this will be tag teams made up of men and women, but the men are in the ring with the men, the women are in the, ring. the way WWE has done mixed tags for their entire history. I don't think WWE is, is even close to being ready to going full intergender and all the problems that's going to, and headaches that that's going to entail and, and all of those sorts of things, which we're not going to get into today. We've got a lot of shows in the archive from, like, 2014, if you want to hear us bang on intergender, but um, we're not going to do that today. So we're going to put this thing on Facebook. Uh, nobody knows what this means for the future of 205 Live. I would think that 205 Live was sort of in a precarious position to begin with, even before this announcement. We talked about that briefly, I think, last week when we broke down the, the 205 Live tour. Um the 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 test house show tour that they're going to do in the small small arenas in the northeast, which uh, that combined with this seems like, um, you know, if those house shows don't come off well, and and this shows a big hit on Facebook, and Facebook's open to doing more business and those sorts of things, you know, you have to worry when it comes to two hundred five live and a lot of people involved with it. Some of the talent is already pretty much restricted to main event some of the talent hasn't worked a match in forever whether it's your Lindsay dorados who have backstage heat your tj perkins who have backstage heat um you know the, the, these guys haven't just aren't even working matches period you have other guys just working main event um so it's you know you don't want to see anybody lose their job but it wouldn't shock anybody if there's some 205 live cuts coming down the pike and at this point You know, you got a very busy Tuesday night television taping schedule. I don't think it would shock anybody if they just cut out 205 Live completely. Of course, not before that house show tour. But at some point, if they just cut it completely. As we've talked about a million times, it does not do great numbers on the network. Uh, And because it barely is able to crack the top 10 shows on a weekly basis, you can't. it's, It's hard to think that it's drawing subscribers. So at that point, if you're not making money off it via the house shows, then it, there's a good chance that you're losing money overall producing the show. So at that point, it's just, you know, it's a red number on the uh, on the profit and loss sheet. And you might be best served to cut your losses. You know, keep the top 10% of talent that you think could have some use on the main roster and go from there. But that's all speculation. I have no idea. But this I don't, I don't think the announcement of this is a good sign for 205 Live. I also think something that ties into this was the experiment they did on USA Network this week by airing an episode of NXT on USA Network. It seems to me that the company feels like the pay-per-view events are what draws people to purchase, to make net, to uh, subscribe to the network. So they're testing the waters a little bit. If they can move NXT to TV and earn some rights fees off of it, they're going to do that in a heartbeat. They'll yank it off the network in a second. If Facebook, if this Facebook thing works out and Facebook's going to pay them for content, they'll move stuff to Facebook in a second. It seems to me what they're thinking is they can pull anything they want off of the network aside from those pay-per-view events. I think predominantly they feel... That's what people are subscribing to the network to watch. I mean, we know it's not the classic content. You look at the top ten in any given week, and it's never—you're never gonna find, you know, Starcade '90 randomly popping up in the top ten, or a raw episode from 2003. Uh, It's the hardcore geeks like us that enjoy that—that classic content, the archive stuff, but. You know, show me the last time a random Madison Square Garden house show popped up in the top 10. That's that. That's not driving the subscriptions. It's the pay-per-views. You know, and maybe to a lesser extent, NXT. And, you know, the takeovers, obviously, as well. The takeovers and the pay-per-views. I think the takeovers, uh, certainly, yeah, I think people, yeah, for sure, order for the takeovers. But the weekly NXT, I don't know. I'm not sure if you remove that from the network if it would make a hu- if there would be a huge dent in subscribers. I'm not sure if I'd buy that. And I think that's why they were testing the waters with USA Network this week. And with Facebook as well. And hey, look, if they could sell Facebook or USA or somebody else on 205 Live, well, then of course you keep it going. And everything I said before is moot. So we'll see. You know, the fact is the network is still... In its infancy. So we're going to see changes and, and ebbs and flows to how they approach the network and how they want to do business when it comes to the network. I mean, they were all in on original content. It was all original God, we got to do original content. We had all these shows. Uh, you know, uh, whether it was Storytime or The Edge and Christian gimmick or, you know, there were, there were a host of and, – and they've totally pulled back on that. They've cut the budget and they're not producing original content anymore. So there's, there's going to be shifts and changes in what they do. So Mixed Match Challenge, it's going to run 12 weeks. They're going to be 20-minute shows. Uh, the most exciting thing to me, aside from keeping an eye on where all of this goes from a business perspective, is they're promising production changes. And if this is a company – and listen, we've been screaming from the rooftops on this show. This is a company in dire need of production changes. The show has looked exactly the same since about 2003. I mean, whether it's, you know, Raw or SmackDown, the only difference you're getting is red or blue. But otherwise, the production is, you know, and purple for 205 Live. Otherwise, the the production is identical on all these shows and has been for 15 years or more. This is a company screaming, screaming, begging. For some new production ideas. So that I'm curious about too. But aside from that. I don't. You know. There's talk that this tournament won't be. Part of the larger canon. It'll be its own self-contained story. Which might. Which won't necessarily bleed into. Storylines on the individual brands. You know. We won't know until it starts. And it's not going to start until the middle of January. And we're going to see moving forward if, if entities like Facebook can become a player in the rights fee game as their, as their contract comes up with USA. You know, if Facebook wants to back up the Brinks truck and dump a bunch of money on the table and, and, and try to secure Raw and SmackDown, WWE is going to have an interesting decision to make. A very interesting decision to make. If it's the best money offer, Do they take it and move all their content online to an online entity like Facebook for for streaming? Are they going to lose viewers? Because, you know, it's not just about taking the most money. You, You have to be visible so that you can create new fans. That's the key, which is why when people, you know, suggest moving Raw and SmackDown to the network, you can't create new fans that way. Eventually, you'll die. People need to be able to access your product easily, get hooked on it, and then be talked into paying $9.99 a month for the network. If everything's on the network, how do you make new fans? It's almost impossible. Same theory here. They have to to weigh that. They say, okay, are we going to lose eyeballs by putting our product on Facebook? I don't know the answer to that. My gut tells me it'd be a bad move. I grew up on television. So maybe I'm wrong. I'd be fearful of yanking my product off of television at this point. I'd be. I don't know. I guess it's Facebook that scares me. I I don't know if I'd be so hesitant if Netflix made a play or Hulu made a play. I think services like that are more ingrained as um, services where you go to consume television. Whereas Facebook, it's kind of uncharted territory. And I know, I know, YouTube has a pay service now, and you know entities like YouTube and Facebook, it, they're kind of new to this game. And I don't know if I want to be the one to break the ice. I don't want if I don't know if I would want to be the guinea pig. I'd let someone else do that. I know some of the sports leagues or major league sports leagues are dabbling with this, but you're talking one game a week. You know, if the NBA puts one game a week on Facebook, there's not really much risk there. They're just, you know, and some revenue from you know from Facebook and dumping a game on it. One a week, one a week out of dozens. It's, it's, it really doesn't, you know, and it's not going to be there. You know, they're not going to put Cavs Warriors on Facebook. That's going to be on ABC or ESPN or TNT. But in the case of WWE, you put Raw and SmackDown on... I mean, that's it. There's nothing else. And then at that point, are you creating new fans? Or are you losing fans? Because... Look, you know, the, the other thing about it, and this has come up in this net neutrality nonsense that's going on right now, which is terrifying to think that that can go in the wrong direction. There's a lot of places in this country where people still do not have great internet, meaning strong enough internet service to support streaming. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, um, you know, I I moved from New Jersey to Texas, as, as a lot of longtime listeners know, and even when I first moved here, I had terrible internet. And it just—we didn't have high-speed internet available until, you know, in the last year or two. And it's not like I live totally out in the sticks. I live in a, you know, 160,000 people where I live, in a major, you know, in the fourth biggest university in America. But my area of town—I mean, it was just—it was hard to get good internet. And most of this country is rural. People forget that. And, um, you know, it's, and, and that's an issue on, on the plus side, Facebook is international, right? So in theory, you can draw the globe as opposed to just, you know, USA network, which, you know, or an American network where it's, it's, you know, strictly American and then you have to cut separate deals and every other, you know, this would just be okay. Everybody gets Facebook, but are people prepared To watch TV on Facebook. That, see, it's uncharted territory, and I'd let somebody else fuck around with that. And prove that it can work, and prove that you can grow on that type of platform. So to me, that's the most interesting aspect of Mixed Match Challenge. Now the other thing we have going on with this and I, I I gotta bring this up. People went bonkers and I mean bonkers today and I'm recording this on uh, Thursday. Samoa Joe put out a tweet. I will read it verbatim. Special announcement. Due to the impending WWE MMC, hashtag, of course, I will now have a full-time towel attendant ringside while I pummel the other male participants in the tournament unconscious. Thank you, the management. That tweet by Samoa Joe set some people off. And as soon as I heard that WWE was doing a mixed tag gimmick, I knew that it was going to just bring out the best in certain people. You knew what was coming. But then Joe puts out this tweet, and away we go. The charge here is that Joe made a sexist tweet, implying that his female partner, is good for nothing other than to being his towel attendant. Which of course is utter nonsense. And and it's just another example of of I think people not understanding what pro wrestling is. And I'm not gonna go after um individual fans here or anything like that, but I I found a tweet by James McKenna. This is a blue check mark. So he's fair game. Mr. McKenna is a producer at Wrestling Sheet, according to his Twitter bio. I have no idea who this guy is. I had never heard of him. But he's a producer at Wrestling Sheet. I don't know his background. Um. So he works for TMZ, man. His his response, he quote tweeted Joe, and I, w- I will read you what he has to say here. And then I'll, I will give you my take on this. Quote. This statement is really lame, dude. I have always heard good things about you, and I'm assuming best intentions. I think you're playing up heel stuff. That said, it reads like you just called the equally stellar women's division towel attendance please rethink it. end quote. McKenna should have stopped with, "I have always heard good things about you, and in assuming best intentions, I think you're playing up heel stuff. He should have stopped right there because that's exactly what Samoa Joe's tweet was. playing up heel stuff. I mean, You really have to be reaching here to try to find something sexist. Samoa Joe's character, ever since he turned heel in this company, has been a grumpy, surly, angry, bitter, do-not-fuck-with-me loner. He has not played well with others. He's a tough guy heel who talks tough, doesn't take any guff, isn't interested in your bullshit, and just wants to fight. And this tweet was well within character. Also, an important distinction in character. What he's saying here is he doesn't need a partner They can hold his towel because he's going to pummel the males and win these matches on his own. Samoa Joe, well known for his entire career for carrying a towel to the ring. Again, well within character here. Now, I think James hit on something good here in his tweet when he said, I have always heard good things about you and in Assuming Best Intentions, I think you're playing up heel stuff. I have always heard good things about you. That matters too. Samoa Joe has always been known as a thoughtful, smart, intellectual, good dude. Go through his Twitter timeline. He's a smart guy. That's someone who deserves the benefit of the doubt in a situation like this. If, if Randy Orton had made the same tweet, you might side-eye it a little bit. Ultimately, my opinion would be the same, but you look at it a little harder. But if Samoa Joe or Kevin Owens or Sami Zayn makes this tweet, I have a hard time thinking they're being sexist. But here's the other thing that that James McKenna apparently doesn't understand and that a lot of people lose sight of. Samoa Joe the man didn't make this tweet. Samoa Joe, the wrestling character, the television character, made this tweet. And that's a very important distinction, and that's what makes wrestling unique. Samoa Joe responded to James McKenna and here here is his response and I quote how you interpret it is your business does not matter if it is man, woman or alien extraterrestrial if you must you stand in the corner, hold my towel and don't mess up my tournament run I have equal opportunity disdain for all just in case anyone feels left out end quote boom what a tremendous response to McKenna. Once again, in character, doing his shtick, saying, I don't give a shit about anybody but me. I want to win this tournament, and I'm going to win it myself. And good for Samoa Joe not backing down to this bullshit. Good for Samoa Joe standing his ground and not deleting the tweet, putting out some hokey apology. No. No. This is what pro wrestling is. And I'm going to go a step further. Because this wasn't... This wasn't... I mean, you really have to be reaching to... to. First of all... Here's the thing. If Samoa Joe would have said... I'd have a full-time sandwich maker... In my corner... I now have a full time dishwasher in my corner. I have a full time laundry folder in my corner. I have a full time, uh, you know, uh, someone, you know, making my, uh, getting me a beer, uh, you know, in my corner. Those are traditionally hacky, sexist things that people say. Towel attendant is not. This is a man who carries a towel to the ring. You know, if he had said, I have someone in my corner who can go grab me a beer, or I have someone in my corner who could give me a foot rub, or I have someone in my corner uh, who could fold my socks, I'd be all in with James McKenna. Bad tweet, Joe. But here's the other side of this. Again, he's a bad guy. Why is it not okay for it to be a little offensive? You know, if, if, if a character on... If an evil... If a heel on Breaking Bad said something in the context of the show that was highly offensive in some way, or pick your favorite television drama... Would the James McKenna's of the world be, be, be complaining? I, I don't think so. I read the man's timeline. He seems like an intelligent dude. He seems like an alright guy. This is an extension of a television character. Wrestling's unique. They take this to social media. He's putting over the tournament. He's putting over his character. It's just... There's people like James McKenna who do not understand wrestling. McKenna's follow-up tweet. I've been worked by Joe, quote. He's a great heel, quote. Y'all can fuck off with that mindset. If he said it about dudes, that would be fine. First mixed gender match show they've ever they have ever and he's calling women towel attendants. Not cool, Jesus. Here's the thing, James, you are but you did get worked. You got worked by a guy doing his wrestling character. Samoa Joe, the man, based on everything I've seen over the years and all of his social media and everything else, I firmly believe that he does not feel that women are beneath him. I don't even think his wrestling character thinks that. He just thinks that he's, he's, every partner is beneath him. We get a grip here. and again who cares if he's being a jerk that's his job i mean geez, if this kind of thing hurt you i don't know i, I it, listen it may be harsh but if this kind of thing hurts you perhaps wrestling is is the wrong endeavor for you i i, I, I and i know that sounds harsh but th- 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 this is what heels do in wrestling they 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 say mean things and they talk down To their opponents and their tag team partners that they don't like and everything else. If you can't separate the person from the character. I don't know what to tell you. Go cover music. Because you don't get it. You don't get it. And good for Joe for sticking up for himself and not backing down. He did nothing wrong here. I mean, enough is enough with this shit. I'm just curious. I mean, I don't know. You know. Has James McKenna ever heard Bobby Heenan or Jesse Ventura call a wrestling match? And some of the things that they said... Granted, 20, 30 years ago, but still, they were doing characters. You're not supposed to like them. So yeah, yeah, James, you did get worked. By now, everybody knows that Dollar Shave Club ships amazing razors for a few bucks. I've been a member for a while, and I love my shave. But you might not know, I didn't, is that Dollar Shave Club also has products for pretty much everything else I need in the bathroom. Body wash, shampoo, hair gel, lip balm, everything. As soon as I heard Dollar Shave Club had stuff other than razors, I was sold. You go to the store, there's too many options. You can't tell the difference between any of them. If you need help, they're clueless. They don't know what they're talking about. Dollar Shave Club makes it easy and convenient for you to upgrade your shave and your bathroom. Now you don't have to step foot inside the store to get a high-quality shave and grooming products we will deliver them right to your door. Just like the razors, everything is super high-quality and left me looking and feeling amazing. From premium ingredients to sophisticated scents, Dollar Shave Club is changing the game. If you're like Joe Lanza and stick of the nonsense at the store, now's the time to try out Dollar Shave Club. For a limited time, Dollar Shave Club is basically giving away their Shit Shower Shave Starter Set to new members. For only 5 bucks. this starter set features their Executive Razor and three trial-sized versions of their most popular products that help you stay fresh and clean. In your first box, you will receive the Shave Butter, the Body Wash, and the One Wipe Charlie Butt Wipes. You will also receive the Executive Razor, that's the one that I use, which includes their premium weighty handle and full cassette of cartridges. After the first box, replacement cartridges are sent for only a few bucks a month. This offer is exclusively available at dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. And if you want a great gift, give them Dollar Shave Club. They got super simple gift memberships and e-cards for the holidays. Dollar Shave Club's high-quality products will have you covered from face cheeks to butt cheeks. There is no better time to try the club. dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. Voices. Alright, let's get into this World Tag League. And the big story of the week. Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega. Alpha versus Omega is how they're going to market this match. And the big story coming out of the World Tag League, of course, was the surprise appearance of Chris Jericho. Who attacked Kenny Omega after Kenny Omega's six-man tag. And there's a lot to unpack here with Alpha versus Omega. There's a lot to get to. I think there's a lot of people who really don't understand the purpose of the match. There's a lot of people upset that New Japan is is calling it the co-main event. And I'm going to get into why that's foolish and what you don't understand about that. But first, let's break down the angles. So, Omega was watching what appeared to be another video message from Jericho. Nobody was expecting Jericho to be in Japan. When the lights came back on, Jericho attacks Omega, hits him with the code breaker, beats him silly. Makes him bleed. Real old school stuff. A more serious Jericho. Long gone is the list. Left him laying. They do a press conference the next day. Kenny's all bandaged up. They announce the match officially for Wrestle Kingdom. Jericho's turn to talk. Kenny attacks him. They're pulled apart. Jericho gives a very intense promo. And away we go. This is good stuff. These angles were tremendous. Now, i got to tell you, the initial angle in Fukuoka did not get the best crowd response. There's a couple possible explanations for that. One, Fukuoka's a bad crowd. Traditionally. Always has been. Number two, when the lights came on and Jericho appeared, if you go back and watch, a Y2J chant starts to break out. I think fans were excited to see him. They were chanting his, his name. But then once he attacked Kenny, and it was clearly established that he was a heel, it's almost like those fans that were chanting Y2J got uncomfortable because they didn't know what was going on. But really, we didn't know what this match was going to be before these angles. It was, you know, this was this was almost a double turn of sorts. Look, I know Omega is kind of an ambiguous character in New Japan, and you know he's a you know, kind of a. I would say a heel-leaning tweener. I think that's fair to say. Most everybody in New Japan is a tweener. At least most of the top guys. He's a heel-leaning tweener, I think. But here he's being clearly established as the babyface. And Jericho is just this maniacal, focused, insane caricature of himself who just wants to end Kenny Omega. So fans weren't sure how to react to the whole thing. Plus, you don't get angry. This is a a Western-style angle. You don't get this in New Japan very much. But there's always the possibility that this angle and this storyline just isn't going to get over in Japan. That is a definite possibility. And there is a danger in having this match in the Tokyo Dome. A huge building... Which has been known to swallow good reactions to matches. If there's a mediocre or poor reaction to a match, it's just, you know, it could be it could be like a wake in that building. And there there's a danger of that happening in this match if if these uh if these angles haven't gotten the match over. Now where these angles have gotten over huge is in the United States and in the West. Now, people are into this, and I got to tell you, I'm way more into this than I was before the Angles. I had no idea what to expect. I was all I was okay with them bringing Jericho in and doing this Jericho-Omega match from the perspective of Jericho bringing attention to New Japan, and I understood that. I was very, I don't know, it, it's almost like I have confidence that Kenny Omega can have a, a really good match with with anybody, but... I was a bit skeptical that Jericho could work at his level and have the caliber of match that Omega is accustomed to having on a big show, especially a show like the Tokyo Dome. Um, that was where my reservations were. And um I wasn't super hyped about the match or anything like that, but I understood why they were doing it. But now after the angles, this is I mean, holy shit. I mean, this was so the right decision. To pivot from the Omega Ibushi match. And and here's the thing. They absolutely pivoted from the omega Bushi match, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, because I've seen some chatter out there, and it's just false, but I'm going to cover that in a second. But this was the right move pivoting from that match, because, look, the Okada-Naito match is so strong that this show is not going to have any trouble moving tickets. And if you believe the reports, if you believe the reports, it's the strongest advance in 12 years, and it's going to do the biggest paid number in the Road era. Now, you have every right to be skeptical of those reports because Bushiro tends to tell us this every year. And then they announce the number and it's like 29,000. I mean, so who knows? But I do think Naito Tanahashi is without question, I'm sorry, Naito Okada is without question the hottest match that they have been able to put together in the Bushiro era. So, you know, you, you don't... They didn't necessarily need the Omega-Obushi match to help sell tickets here. So what they did was they pivoted from that, got Jericho in the mix. And really, it's an, this is an interesting case study in... They're calling it a co-main event. And Naito Okada is unquestionably the main event in Japan. But the match that's being pushed the strongest in the West is Omega and Jericho. And rightfully so. Because it has far more interest than Naito Okada does in the West. And it has way more interest than Omega Ibushi would have had in the West. Just alone, in the past 24 hours, I've seen major stories on... on, um, on Omega vs. Jericho or on Chris Jericho or on Wrestle Kingdom focused on Chris Jericho by Vice, Rolling Stone, Sports Illustrated, uh, Bill Aptor. Busted Open Radio. Now some of these entities talk about New Japan from time to time, but the core focus of someone like Bill Apter is not New Japan. Never has been. Going all the way back to the Apter Mag days. This is an example of Jericho helping New Japan reach new audiences when you have Bill Apter doing stories and tweeting about Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, coming up at Wrestle Kingdom. Bill Apter would not be tweeting about Kenny Omega versus Kota Ibushi. He just wouldn't be. Busted open... Would not be spending segments on their, you know, worldwide radio show on satellite radio, on Kenny Omega, Kota abushi on December in the middle of December, maybe a couple of days before the show. But you're getting almost a full month of hype because Jericho is involved and because he had these hot angles with Omega. Same for Vice, Rolling Stone, and Sports Illustrated. These are mainstream entities that, yes, they've covered New Japan from time to time and they've done stories on this you know rising promotion in Japan that's you know a total dichotomy from WWE and all these sorts of things but would they be talking about wrestle kingdom this early in the game and with this much focused attention if chris jericho wasn't involved of course not so if you're paying attention the angles have worked it's impossible to argue otherwise they've worked in terms of garnering attention Does that mean that that's going to translate to business? Is this going to translate to New Japan World subscriptions? Is this going to translate to shit, people buying tickets to the show and flying to Japan in a month? I don't know. That remains to be seen. And we're not going to know until after the show. When we see the New Japan World subscription numbers. And if they went up in North America or outside of Japan, I should say. If you would have asked me, I think we discussed this a few weeks ago on the show, before these angles, if Jericho, I think, you know, we were pretty, we were, we were, we were, uh, bullish on it, but we weren't super strong. We thought, yeah, it's, it can't hurt to bring a man. He's going to bring some attention. Now, I think without question, he's going to help in that regard in terms of, I think this without question will drum up, uh, Subscription, uh, New Japan World subscriptions. To what degree, I don't know. But I can tell you this. We've already seen it generate um, more money and more attention from New Japan, and we have something tangible to look at already. I've got some quotes by Mark Cuban, who spoke to Sports Illustrated this week. And um, of course, he runs Axis TV, and he has, you know, he in, you know, since it was HDNet, Mark Cuban has in charge has been in charge of that channel. He is the uh, the chairman, I guess is his official title of Axis TV. And I've got some quotes from Mark Cuban. He says, in he says, uh, let's see, in relation to New Japan Pro Wrestling, he says, quote, we're looking to expand it on Friday nights want to do more live as opposed to to the delay, and we're talking to them about special events. If you remember, they did do the G1 special in the summer, and uh, now Cuban's saying they want to do more. This was an interesting quote. He said, when asked about Vince McMahon, uh, Cuban said, and I quote, no, he thinks we're just little shit. We're not a threat because of the language. That's the biggest challenge, the language, but if you're a purist for wrestling and you like the action... It's the best promotion by far. People here aren't going to connect as directly, but if you really love wrestling, then it's a no-brainer, end quote. I love that quote. Mark Cuban, for all you want to say, he's a loudmouth, he's a smart businessman. He was a billionaire in his 30s. He makes smart, heady business decisions. And he's not out here thinking he's going to challenge Vince McMahon on his niche you know, cable network with a niche product, a non-English speaking product. But he knows there is a market for it. Like he says, if you really love wrestling and you like action, this is the promotion for you. And Mark Cuban, by the way, has always been a wrestling fan. In another life when I was writing about MMA, I actually had a, an email conversation directly with Mark Cuban. And I asked him in the early days of HDNet if he had thought about Going after some, you know, putting wrestling and in particular Japanese wrestling on the network. And he said he he did look into that, but at the time it just wasn't a fit, wasn't feasible, but it was something that he had his eye on. Years later, here you go. New Japan on Access TV. Okay, now here's an important quote. Quote, we're getting to know them better. We went from a delay to a short delay to live, so we're going to get smarter about it. The numbers keep going up. Other TVs are declining and ours are going up. That's a good sign. There are some nights when it beats MMA, it's doing that well. And of course, Access TV is basically built around MMA and always has been. But the key here is Axis TV paid an undetermined... We don't know the number, but they, they they paid rights fees to air the top three matches on the show. Omega Jericho, which is being pushed as the main event on Axis and in the West. Okada Naito. And Tanahashi versus Jay White. So right there are tangible results. For having Chris Jericho on this card. Look. Maybe they buy the rights to those top three matches anyway. But we don't know that. I suspect that they 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 would have aired Wrestle Kingdom at some point, but I don't know if it would have been uh the two-day turnaround that they're, they're gonna do it on uh, January sixth. Axis is building fifteen hours of New Japan programming around basically the Omega Jericho match. Think about that. So that's a tangible impact this match has had already. All the marketing is built around that match. They're going to air the entire uh, Wrestle Kingdom show in five consecutive weeks during January and February, independent of airing the uh, three top matches on the sixth. They're going to air a, a, a an eight-hour what is it, a six or eight-hour marathon. Leading up to those uh, to airing Wrestle Kingdom. It starts on January 12th. And then five consecutive Fridays. Starting on January 12th. They'll air the entire Wrestle Kingdom show. I guess in one hour pieces. And there's an eight hour marathon. On January 6th. Leading up to airing. The three top matches on the show. So you're talking about 15 hours of content. Built around Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho. I mean, people right there. That's the impact that booking Chris Jericho on this show has had. And again, that's why it's a no-brainer to bump the Omega. You can do the Omega-Abushi match any other time you want. And in fact, now you can use that match to headline a show at some point. And let me tell you, I can tell you, it is an absolute fact that at least as of August, Abushi Omega was slated for Wrestle Kingdom. That's a fact. That's not conjecture. That's not me speculating. It is a fact. And then, you know, when the Jericho thing, when that ball got set into motion, that match got pushed aside for now. Now, I have heard the plans for when they're going to do the Omega Ibushi Master not set in stone but I know the show that they're thinking of and it would headline. And I could also tell you as an absolute fact that at least one of the participants in the Omega Ibushi match wasn't too hot about doing it at the dome anyway. And they prefer it to be a main event. He knew it wouldn't be the main event and he's concerned about, you know, time and that it'd be given and those sorts of things. These guys want to go out there and have a, a ridiculously epic match. And, uh, you know, third from the top or whatnot, there was, you know, concerns that maybe they wouldn't have been able to do that. Don't worry about Omega versus bushy You're going to get it. You're going to get it. But I mean, in terms of uh, attracting attention in the West, you know, before these angles, you know, a little less than a week ago, the semi main event of this show was Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Jay White. You think that's working people up in the West? You think that's getting all of this mainstream attention? You think Access TV is building 15 hours of programming around Tanahashi versus Jay White? You think Vice and Rolling Stone and Sports Illustrated and, um, you know, Busted open and all, you know, all these mainstream. You think, you know, they're talking about Wrestle Kingdom in the middle of December. You think they're talking about Tanahashi versus Jay White? Well, you know the answer. This is the right call. It was a it was a risk, but at at least at this point, it looks like it's working out. I mean, Jericho's certainly into it. He's not mailing it in. He's not the kind of guy who's gonna mail it in. He wants to do well. And anybody who has an issue with pushing it as a co main event. I mean, that's just verbiage. We all know that the main event is Tanahashi Naito. We all know that if this show draws 30, 35, 40,000 fans. It's because of, I'm sorry, it's because of, I keep saying Tanahashi. It's because of Okada and Naito. We all know that. But again, it's a great case study in can you push two different main events on two different continents and serve two masters? We're going to find out. So far, success. So, let's break down this World Tag League show very quickly. We'll go top to bottom. Start with the main event, which was the finals of the tournament. Evil and Sonata defeat Guerrillas of Destiny. So, they'll go on to face Killer Elite Squad, which it looks like, believe it or not, a standard two versus two tag. No third team. No fourth team. We still have to survive the two Cork and Hall shows next week. Uh, hopefully they don't shoot any goofy angles. Killer Elite Squad flew home. So the it, it, it's looking like we're just going to get Evil Ensenada versus Killer Elite Squad. It's a fresh match. It should be a good match. No War Machine. No Guerrillas of Destiny. No Elgin and Cobb, no Team Awkward, no best friends. Just a straight-up two-on-two tag. And I think we're all thrilled about that. And it's fresh. Now, this match here, I didn't like it. I thought the first half was dreadfully boring because the teams were miscast with the structure of the match. Gorillas of Destiny, they could have good matches, but they've got to be wild, frenetic, high-action matches like they had last year against Great Bash heel. Makabe and Hanma. Which I thought was a great match. One of the best tag matches of the year. But in this scenario. They are. You know. You've got Evil and Sonata. As the baby faces in peril. Which is. Working completely against their strengths as well. They're much better working from the top. You got Gorilla's Destiny. Who are just. The slower pace the match is. The more boring it is with those two guys. So we had Gorillas of Destiny beating down Evil and Sonata for the first half of this match. And God, it was boring. It was so bad. So then you have what I call the intermission of the match. Earlier in the night, Bad Luck Fale took on Bushi in a singles match. A very bizarre heavyweight versus junior singles match. Something the company typically does not do. Why? Because Bushi pinned Bad Luck Fale in a tag match... At King of Pro Wrestling. So Fale. Had a score to settle. Well the Bushi Fale match on this show. Was. It was possibly the worst New Japan match of the year. It was terrible. Ended with a shitty DQ. And Bushi spit the mist in his face. And punched him in the balls. Fale's chased him to the back. Trying to rub the mist out of his face. It was a disaster. But as it turned out. It ended up playing into the booking of the final, and it's playing into the booking of the Tokyo Dome. This was actually turned out to be pretty clever. So Bushi runs in on the on the match here, but before he could affect it and uh and, and help his boys win, Fale runs in and chases him off. So the Fale bushi thing's still going, and then the light bulb goes on. It became obvious at that point that evil and Sonata. We're going to win this match and get the tag team title shot at the Dome. And that Fale and the Gorillas of Destiny were going to challenge Los blaze Evil Sonata, and Bushi for the never open six-man titles, remember those? At some point before the Dome. And that's exactly what they're doing at the Cork and Hall shows. I forget which one, either 17th or 18th. It'll be Gorillas of Destiny and Bad Luck Fale against Evil, Sonata, and Bushi for the never-open-weight six-man titles. Common Sense says Fale will pin Bushi in that match. Bullet Club will win the titles and then go to Wrestle Kingdom to defend them against whoever. So pretty clever booking here. You put Gorillas of Destiny in the final. You work in the Fale-Bushi stuff. And you create a lot of booking dominoes that fall into place. So pretty clever stuff from Gato, I have to I have to admit. So now there's more clarity in terms of, you know, what everybody is doing at the Dome. Now, who will, assuming girls of Destiny and Folly defeat Lij for those trios titles, who will they defend against? Who knows? You've still got a lot of chaos guys that that don't have a match. Guys like. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii, Yoshihashi, um, you know, so you know, probably um, some combination of, 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 of Chaos dudes, maybe another gauntlet like they've done in the past. Maybe you get some of the older third-gen guys involved with Kojima, Tenzan, um, Nagata, who knows. But there's plenty of teams that they can put together for Gorilla's Destiny to face. Maybe they shoot an angle at the Cork and shows after they win the titles. I, I don't know. But uh, that seems to be the direction they're going. And I really don't have a problem with it. It's, it, it was pretty, it's pretty crafty. I don't think anybody saw that coming. This is a very unpredictable world tag league. So let's shoot back to the top. We had Jushin Liger, Manabu Nakanishi, Yuji Nagata, Satoshi Kojima, and Hiroshi Tenzan. 10-man tag. They defeat Togi Makabe, David Finley, Katsuya Kitamura, Harai Kawato, and Hanare. The only surprise here is Kawato took the pin. He's the guy that everybody loves. Um, Kojima took off his head with a clothesline, but this was a hot little opener. You know, we bang on these New Japan multi-man tags, and I think it's just because we're all tired of seeing them, and they never really mean anything, but they're always pretty good. They're never bad matches, and this was not a bad match. It just had no consequence. And Togi Makabe, I mean, again, I mean, he's teaming with Young Lions on the openers of shows. I mean, he really has no direction. Now we know Tomoaki Hanma is currently training. Could we see a surprise return of Hanma on the Corkin shows and some sort of involvement with Hanma at Wrestle Kingdom? I don't know. War Machine and Team Awkward defeat Yujiro, Hangman Page, Chase Owens, and Leo Tonga. And this was awkward. Pay attention to the post-match where Mike Elgin is trying to start up a conversation with Warbeard Hansen, and he's getting no-sold. I mean, Mike Elgin probably couldn't wait for this tour to end, but also wished that it would last forever, because now he has to go home. Bad luck, Fale Bushi. Terrible match. It was a dud. Talked about that. Best friends defeat Death Juice. Good match. This was the best match of the show to this point. I hope Chucky T sticks around. I think that it would be a nice step in Trent's elevation to be part of a heavyweight tag team that contends for the titles. Chaos does not have a regular heavyweight tag team, so it's a good spot. It fills a void. And it keeps Trent in the mix of doing important things. But I have no idea if they're booking Chucky T moving forward. On the other side, we had Death Juice. uh, Juice Robinson, another guy who, who might be just out of the mix for Wrestle Kingdom. I know some people are worked up about that. I'm not. I like Juice. He was elevated this year. He's had a hell of a year. Hey, look, there's only so many top spots. And quite frankly, he hasn't earned one of them yet. I mean, what, what are you going to do with Juice? What match are you putting him in? You want to put him in the Intercontinental title match? I mean, it was very obvious. If you didn't know it from when he was a young lion, you should have known it by the summer at the G1 special. Jay White is the homegrown guy, and he's getting the mega push. We all knew that wouldn't make sense to put Juice Robinson in that match against Tanahashi and debut Jay White in some flat undercard match. You want to make a big impact with Jay White. You want to have him come in and beat Tanahashi and see if you can make a star. So it doesn't really bother me that Juice got squeezed out here. You know my, listen, you guys know my feelings on big shows. Not everyone can be featured. It's just the way it is. I mean, you know, there's a pecking order and, you know, it's just not his time. They also know he's not a homegrown guy, and at some point, his goal is probably to get back into WWE. I haven't spoken to the guy. I don't know that for sure, but the whole point of leaving the nest to begin with was to rebuild his, was to build a reputation, build a name, gain some experience, and come back to WWE hot. So I, there's no reason to think that that's not still his goal. Maybe he wants to stay in Japan forever. That's great. But it's going to take him longer to really get the big push. And he may not ever get it. As far as Callahan, everything I've heard is that he rubbed everybody the wrong way on this tour. Meaning management. The kissing stuff, which they told him to cut the shit. Three or four shows in, they told him stop it. The spitting. Um, you know, so he didn't make a great impression on management. He took the pin here. Obviously, they're not going to pin Juice. He was given plenty of shine before he took the pin. He used Trent's dude buster on Trent and for a near fall. Then he used the stretch muffler. And then Chucky T had to come in for the save. So, it's not like they buried Callahan in his last match of the tour. But, um, look, I have no idea if they have him booked for dome or if they have him booked for... Uh, Something after that, but all I know is everything I heard from multiple sources is that he did not make a good impression. So it would not would not shock me at all if that's the last you see of Sammy Callahan in New Japan. And as far as Elgin goes, I did try to follow up. Um, They're not telling me anything now, so I don't have any new information in what I gave you last week in terms of whether he'll be booked moving beyond the Dome. I was told he's booked for Dome. That's all I know. He doesn't have an obvious match. Um, maybe he's in the the six man deal. I, I you know maybe it's Elgin, Juice and somebody else challenging you know the Bullet Club guys or there's a who knows. But he's booked for Dome. His contract runs out shortly after the next tour starts. They didn't specify which tour, whether that meant Fantastic Mania, which he probably wouldn't have been on anyway, or the New Beginning tour. That wasn't specified, and I can't get an answer. I'll keep trying, but I don't know. You know they're not. I've gotten no follow up on that. But they are aware of the, of the issues that he's having. Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, Toru Yano, and Yoshihashi. Chaos Team defeats Minoru Suzuki, Kuro Elite Squad, and El Desperado. The big takeaway here is that uh, Hiroki Goto continues to challenge Minoru Suzuki for the Never title. Minoru Suzuki continues to say he doesn't deserve a title shot. And uh, Goto is now saying that he will put up his hair if Suzuki will put up the title. Suzuki said no but obviously at these corkin shows or at some point he's going to accept and we're gonna have Suzuki versus Goto the only question was whether they were going to do Suzuki Goto or Suzuki Ishi they've gone with Suzuki Goto here's the thing with Ishi and I think Ishii's is one of the five best wrestlers on the planet they don't see him at the same level they just don't see him at the level that fan, that that fans he's just I think they respect him, but he's not a guy that they feel like they need to give a big singles match to at the Dome. Goto's ahead of him in the pecking order. That's all there is to it. I know there's people who don't like Goto. They think he's boring or whatever, but that, that's the bottom line. He's he's ahead of Ishii in the pecking order. Now, I may be the only person in the world jacked up for Goto Suzuki. I think it's going to be really good. I think people are sleeping on that match. I think they're going to have a good match because the stipulation isn't one that could hinder the match. The hair versus title. Because Suzuki, his whole thing is he's been doing gimmick matches for the never title. Whether it's bull rope matches, all this other bullshit. And it's produced bad matches. But this is just going to be a straight match. And it's the dome. And it's two guys who step up in big spots. Look, I'm not saying it has some tremendous build. I'm not as down on it as other people are. But I'm a Goto fan. But I, I think they could have a good match. And I think they will have a good match. Cody and Marty Scurll defeat Kota, Ibushi, and Kushida. Uh, Cody did the first interesting thing that he's ever done in New Japan to date. Um, They parachute him in for these big shows. He doesn't work the tours. Nobody cares. No No one in Japan cares about Cody. He gets the worst reactions. I mean, he gets nothing. Nothing. These fans couldn't care less about this guy. But he gave Kota Ibushi the crossroads on the entrance ramp. Looked like he killed him. And that got a nice, uh, you know, ooze and from the crowd. That finally got something out. Cody finally got something out of the crowd for once in Japan. Guys over everywhere cannot get over in New Japan. They just do not care about this man. And Skrull throws powder in the face of Kushida to get the, the villainous win. It's a good match. It's alright. The thing about this show is there's nothing great, but there was nothing aside from the Fale uh Bushy match, everything else was good. Good at minimum. It was just a bunch of good matches, you know? It was an easy show to watch, and it was angle heavy. The World Tag League show is always angle heavy. Cause it's really what you know what this is to give people a comparison point? This is almost like, you know, like the final raw before like uh you know to set up a pay-per-view or something. It's it's almost what this is like. A classic go-home show where they put the, you know, the finishing touches of heat on the matches and whatnot is kind of what this was. And it always is, really. Omega and the Bucks defeat Rocky Romero and Rapongi 3K. This was just a prelude to the big angle that I talked about. And honestly, I didn't really like I thought this was an average match. I thought this was the worst of the tags. I don't know. It didn't do anything for me. Tetsuya Naito and Hiromu Takahashi defeat Okada and Osprey. Osprey takes the pin. He, let me tell you, there is no superstar on Earth that takes more pins than Will Ospreay. You cannot call him selfish. Still no sight of Daryl for Hiromu, which is a great development. That star-killing gimmick hasn't been seen in a while now and that's a good thing for his career. The thing here is this crowd and I wrote this in my review. This crowd was not hot for Naito, they were molten for Tetsuya Naito. This guy is so fucking over. He is peaking at precisely the right time. It's it's incredible how over this guy is. And now they've positioned Okada and you know They've set this up now with the post-match attack where Okada ran in and he put his uh, Cobra Clutch on Naito, and Naito still couldn't hit the Destino. Okada blocks it, puts on the Cobra Clutch. They're positioning it to where they want you to boo Okada as well. So it's going to be a super hot environment in the Dome. They are just going to be so hot for Naito. It's going to be pretty incredible when he wins. And you know, at the end of the day, the people who were screaming about New Japan doesn't care about Naito, New Japan only cares about Okada, blah, 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 We've been here for the last two years, which was a load of shit from you know the start. This long Okada title run, this dominant title run with all of these great matches, is going to, in the end, benefit Naito. Not only did they draw a shit ton of money with Okada, selling out every singles match he had, with the exception of the Dome match, of course. They drew a shit ton of money with Okada. Okada got over it like crazy. And now, Naito, at the peak of his popularity, molten hot, is going to beat this unbeatable champion who has beaten everybody. No one can figure this guy out. He's beaten every top guy on the roster, and Tetsuya Naito is going to be the guy to take him out in a Tokyo in the middle of the ring at the Tokyo Dome with 40,000 people chanting his name. but they don't care about this guy. Can we put that to bed now? It was so silly all along, but it just looks super foolish now. It really does. This company is patient. If they would have put the title on Naito a year and a half ago or two years ago, like all you dopes wanted, you don't have this, 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 you don't have Okada's amazing 2017, one of the greatest title runs in the history of Japan. You don't have it. You know, I wrote this in my review, but there's an old thing in wrestling. You don't just give, you don't just, you don't just give the fans what they want. You make them hungry for it. People are hungry for Naito now. To the point... We're going to break all kinds of records in this dome. People, that's wrestling. To extract the most money possible out of the consumer. By making them wait, make them thirsty for it. All you dopes wanted to leave the title on him two years ago when he wanted an invasion attack or whatever it was. That was a taste. That was a taste of Naito on top. And then he lost it right back at Dominion. And you've been hungry for it ever since. This was brilliant. And it's peaking just at the right time. You know, there's a danger in making people wait. There's a danger in making people wait. And that danger is if you wait too long, fans lose faith. Fans get turned off. And we've seen that happen in wrestling many times. That has not happened in here. This guy is peaking right now. Last year, it would have been the timing would have been all wrong to win the G1. They would have peaked them too soon. And they ended up creating another megastar in Kenny Omega. Go listen to the show we did after that G1 final last year. Where we took our victory lap. Because we were pretty much the only people saying when they signed Kenny Omega that they signed him to be a top guy. And that the chainsaw stuff and the junior stuff, it didn't mean anything. The broom, that was Kenny fucking around until the push came. And the push came last year. And they ended up making another top guy just like we said they would it wasn't naito's time there was time to let the naito thing simmer and in and during that time there was time to establish okada as this dominant force the true ace the unbeatable ace and naito is going to topple the unbeatable ace At the peak of his popularity, Okada's gonna put Niato over in that dome at precisely the right time. You couldn't have booked this any better. It gave him a taste in 2015 or 26, whatever it was. You built the new megastar in, 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 in Omega. You gave Okada the incredible run and drew all that money. You put together the hottest match in the Kadani era. And now it's Naito's time. And don't think it's an accident. Do not think it's an accident that Naito and Omega are taking snipes at each other during the build for Wrestle Kingdom. It's obviously by design. And so many people are falling for it. People, the new work is the old work. How many times do I have to tell you this? Naito and Omega are probably going to have a money program next year. Okada will take a back seat. It's okay. You can turn him back on anytime. Maybe he wins the G1. and it go, Who knows? I don't know what's going to happen that far down the line. But, I mean, when it comes to big picture main event booking, nobody is better than Gato. It's just incredible. Everything this guy does, it's like a magic wand. Everything works out perfect. All that whining about Naito, you were putty in his hands. In his little, little fucking hands. With his dumb bandana covering his eyes. He's working all of you. Like fucking clay in his hands. He made you hungry for it. You're starving for Naito. And you're all going to pop through your fucking living room ceiling when he wins that title when he hit when he finally hits that destino. So that's your World Tag League. And believe me, that's that's I'm going to be far from my last impassioned rant about Wrestle Kingdom. There's so much to like about this show. And the main event, there's so much to unpack. And in the coming weeks, me and Rich will break it down for you. Probably do a big preview show a couple days before Wrestle Kingdom like we usually do. Which is traditionally the most listened to show that we do. More people listen to the Wrestle Kingdom preview than they even do the review the following week. I don't think that makes any sense, but hey. It's whatever, right? I'm gonna take a short break and when we come back, we're going to go over the Tokyo Sport Awards, ROH Final Battle preview and a little bit of Clash of Champions. We'll be right back. All right, guys, welcome back. We're going to get to the uh, Tokyo Sports Awards, ROH Final Battle, and Clash of the Champions. But first, I am going to tell you all about SeatGeek. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just use SeatGeek to buy tickets to a Texas A&M college basketball game. I watched them... Uh, blow out savannah state as a matter of fact the other night you guys uh who follow joe lanza on the shoot account over on twitter.com know that uh i love me some college basketball seat geek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever seat geek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals and you get the most bang for your buck seat geek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget plus Every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. They have it all. Best of all, Voice of Wrestling listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. That is a tremendous deal. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code VOW today. That's promo code VOW for $20 off. Your first Seat Geek purchase. So we're going to move on here. We're going to talk about the Tokyo Sports Awards for a moment. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. I just thought it was worth going through because I thought... uh, Because I figure our listeners would be interested in in this topic. So I didn't want to blow it off entirely. I don't put a ton of stock into the Tokyo Sports Awards. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, they're fine. Um, You can get you can kind of read into them a bit. Like it's pretty easy to tell the awards that are legit and the ones that are political, uh, and that sort of thing. Let, let me explain. So they've got their MVP award, which is the big, which is the big award. This is the, uh, MVP in Japanese wrestling for the year. And it was Naito, Okada, and Omega. Obviously, uh the correct top three finishers without question Naito was the winner he got 15 votes Okada got 5 Omega got 1 look I don't think Omega should have won and it's going to be very difficult for a Gaijin to win anyway you couldn't go wrong with Naito or Okada I'd have no problem with Naito winning I would have had no problem with Okada winning Um, if I were voting I would have voted for Okada he had the legendary title run I think it's one of the greatest uh, title runs in Japanese history um, he did tremendous business. He sold out all of his title matches. Um, he had great matches. He had a breakthrough year. He's on his way to a Hall of Fame career. All of those sorts of things. But I have no problem with Naito winning. I mean, you know, obviously, um, you're splitting hairs there. What happens is when you go down the line and look at the other awards, uh, Okada Omega from the Tokyo Dome won the match of the year. Again, I have no problem with that. Obviously, a great match, a legendary match. match is going to stand the test of time as a legendary match no matter what you think of it Um, in terms of the quality of the match it's a legendary match and it's going to be a legendary match uh, forever Um, so I have no problem with that match winning Um, but then as you get deeper and deeper into these awards you kind of see where they kind of just where politics come into play they like to spread the wealth between New Japan, All Japan, Noah, and Dragon Gate in particular um, it's very hard for any wrestlers from um the quote unquote smaller companies, even though you're DDTs and your big Japans, technically you're doing better business than, than say Noah. Noah has the name value and the tradition and is considered a major league promotion. In fact, when uh Occupation of the Indies does their indie awards at the end of the year, they they you know, you you can DDT and Big Japan are eligible, but Noah is not. Even though technically Noah's operating on an indie level right now, and the other two, uh, well, at least DDT—I I wouldn't say Big Japan—but DDT is operating on a, on a much uh, larger scale, and you could argue that they're not an indie. Um, but but it, that's neither here nor there. It's, there's a lot of tradition involved here. So with the rest of the awards, I have no problem with the MVP. I have no problem with the Match of the Year. But the rest of the awards, you can kind of see where they basically just spread the wealth around. Um, you had, for example, you look at the uh, the tag team. You know, Suwama and Ishikawa won the tag team of the year. I mean, they've been a tag team for 10 minutes. You know, it's, it's, you look at the other contenders, Daishi Hashimoto and um, Hideyoshi Kamatani, you got Ricochet and Taguchi, Shima and Dragon Kid all got a couple of votes. The Singh brothers, uh, got a vote and, um, I don't know what's going on there, but, uh, maybe some kind of gimmick vote or something, but, um. But I mean, yeah, I know it wasn't a deep year for tag teams in Japanese wrestling, but um, surely Suwama and Suji Isakawa weren't the best tag team this year. I mean, you had, um, you know, um, Marafuji and Maybach that a lot of people were pushing for from NOAA. Uh, and you you actually could have gone in that direction because Noah didn't win any awards. Uh, they were the ones that were shut out. And Granted, they did not have a great year. They had a, probably the worst business year ever, which probably gave voters an excuse not to give them any awards, which, you know. Um, But, I mean, Shima and Dragon Kid held the Dragon Gate, uh, Twin Gate titles all year, um, or at least most of the year. So there were other options there. Um, And then then you go down the line here, and we see that, uh, let's see, Yuma Aoyagi, for example, wins the Rookie of the Year, uh, another All-Japan winner. I mean, the guy's been wrestling since 2014. I mean, it's utterly ridiculous. The guy's been wrestling for, you know, three or four years now, and he's winning a Rookie Award. Uh, Io Shirai won the uh, Women's MVP. Um, people's beef with that is that she was hurt for a good chunk of the year. So, but she's the biggest star left in the country. Um And, you know, she probably won it based on some name value. I know a lot of uh, Joshi fans are, were, were upset that she won, but there's really no point getting upset at these things. They're very political. Very political. Uh Yamato won uh, the quote-unquote special award. Um, which I mean basically what that award is is basically the singles champion the world champion from the promotion that got snubbed so Yamato was the Dragon Gate champion for the majority of the year Dragon Gate didn't win any awards so they're throwing Dragon Gate a bone by giving Yamato an award I mean it it doesn't mean you know it's like they basically just make up awards so they can you know give everybody something you know um, which is why these are kind of silly. Uh, Hideki Suzuki won Best Technical. I think he beat out Masaki Mochizuki in the voting for that. So, uh, again, you know, they threw a little bone to Big Japan. You know, he's been the Big Japan uh, strong champion for the majority of the year. And, um, you know, so he wins the Best Technical. I mean, you know, I, you know whatever that means. Um, it's kind of just spreading around the wealth. Shibata won the Fighting Spirit Award, obviously because he almost died um you know so um yeah so you could have, you could have could have went with Joe Doring there um for similar reasons I think they were both really good stories um obviously Shibata is the more high profile story and he's a native so he gets the fighting spirit award which in past years you know you can use it again to you know just level out the playing field and give it to whoever these are very political um you know there is voting involved but again there there is a a, a a a concentrated effort to uh spread the wealth so to speak and uh you know noah got shut out i suppose if they really wanted to be fair they could have given nakajima the special award or whatever and and given uh you know shima and dragon kid the tag team award then you would have had noah dragon gate all japan all still represented, plus Hideki Suzuki with Big Japan. Um, you know, so they do their best to try to spread it out. But the vote, it is shoot voting, so, um, you know, they, they you can't even it out entirely, but, uh, you know, they try their best. But uh, I don't want to particularly spend a ton of time on it. I don't, I, you know, they're they're interesting. I like looking back historically and seeing who won. Um, it's interesting to look back in the past and see who won. But there's always a couple awards Not all of them, but there's always a couple which just totally stand out like a sore thumb and you're like, ugh, that person uh, did not deserve the win. This is a bunch of bullshit. Um, Before we get into ROH Final Battle, I want to quickly talk about something that's going on here at the site and the future of the show. Um, Myself and Rich have been kicking around the idea of doing a subscription-based service with Voice of Wrestling. We think we've grown to the point uh, where we can do something like that. and for, For many years... Many listeners and many readers of the site, but particularly reader, uh, listeners to this show have uh, asked us if, if there is a way to, uh, to to pay us to donate um, to the show. And I have um, I have never been um, interested in accepting donations. I am steadfast against donations. Um, this is an ad supported show supported by sponsors and I, I, you know, so that's number one. Number two is I've never been someone who is comfortable sticking their hand out and asking for something. I know we're creating content here and all those sorts of things, but I do not, was never going to ask for money from listeners to do something that, um, you know, I, I, you know, I could have, the goal was always to grind, work hard, Build a listener base and get to the point where advertisers would be interested in advertising on our show. And we got to that point. And I am very proud of that. I am very proud that we are sponsor-supported and that we do have a large enough listenership to be sponsor-supported. Two major sponsors just re-upped for the you know, 2018 already. You know, we've got ad we've got Buys through December 2018, and that's, I believe, something to be very proud of. Um, Blue Apron and Seek Geek are, are committed through 2018. Uh, we're still waiting to hear back from, from some other um, us, uh, advertisers, um, of course. Um, you know, uh, But th- I have never been one to say, I am creating content. I am sticking my hand out. Please pay me for this content. No, I don't think... Uh, I, I, I think that my struggle has always been, and I, I know Rich has always viewed this a little bit differently than than me, than me but my, my whole thing was if, if I'm asking the list, if we're going to ask the listener to give us money I need to be creating something extra I don't want donations for doing this show I want to work hard and let sponsors take care of that I'm confident in my talents, I'm confident in Rich's talents, I'm confident in our abilities to do a compelling podcast a compelling radio show that can that will that would build a listener base and earn ads and we did without sticking our hands out and um so what we've decided to do was um you know you guys know i i I would do audio every day if i could i love doing the audio i love it um i love giving my opinions i love riling people up i love um Talking about wrestling, I love reviewing wrestling. I love uh, fucking around with Rich and, and and bantering back and forth with him. And I, I really love the audio. Um, and and I I do want to do more. Um, and so what we've decided to do is in, instead of and, and instead of taking donations, which I'm steadfast against, um, you know, we're going to uh, we're going to roll out some sort of tiered subscription plan. Now, here's what that means. The show you are listening to right now is not going to change in any way, shape, or form. This show, the weekly Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast, will remain and will always remain free and sponsor-supported. That is never changing. I will never put this show behind a paywall. Now, you know, I shouldn't say never because if some larger entity were to come calling and they were going to write me a big check and put me behind their paywall I would take the money but you guys get the gist of what I'm saying as long as we're running this thing and it's homegrown and it's our mom and pop operation this show that you're listening to right now is never going behind a paywall that's just not going to happen I'm against it work hard be compelling be compelling do an honest show with honest takes and if you have talent and you're compelling people will listen and sponsors will come but what if we give you more content so that's the sort that's what we're mulling and we think we have a good plan a simple plan a reasonable plan a subscription tier which will involve, more content. Bonus content. Something worth paying for. Not just, well, I like what you guys do. Here's three dollars a month. I, I'm not into that. You know, we myself and Rich, we both make a solid middle class wage. You know, we're able to feed our pets. We're not gonna, you know, sit here and give you sob stories. We know you know, you don't need the money. But people have been wanting to give us money. So we're only going to do this if we're creating more content. And that's the plan. It hasn't been set in stone. We don't know how we're going to do it. Obviously, we're looking at places like Patreon. Um, especially now that they've worked out the, the, the nonsense that they went through in the last week or so. With changing their fees. Um, there's some other options that we're looking at. Listen, it's going to be really cheap super affordable and it's going to be extra content. This show that you're listening to remains unchanged. This will be free. This will remain on whatever you know podcast catcher you're using. Um, nothing will change. I can give you a little teaser of some of the stuff we have planned. Um, we're going to roll out a new flagship podcast extension called The Overrun. We are hosted by Audio Boom. They have been very kind to us. They gave us a three-hour time limit, when every other podcast gets two. They allowed us to do that because we produce numbers. Um, There've been weeks where you know they allow us to go a little over three. They're not thrilled about it. We're really capped at three hours, and we're really pushing it with three hours. But there's weeks where we run out of time. We don't get to all of our topics. Dragon Gate fans are intimately aware of this. There's loaded, uh, you know, weeks where there's just tons of topics to get to, and sometimes we run out of time. We get thrown off track, bantering on off-topic bullshit, and then, uh, you know, our, our, our third hour. Now, what we've tried to do is move stuff to the third hour that's the least important so that if we do run out of time, You know, we're not eliminating a New Japan review or a big time WWE story or something like that. It's always, unfortunately, uh, you know, TNA or NOAA or, or, uh, you know, a second tier promotion or a smaller story or something or always ends up being Dragon Gate somehow. Well, with this new show, The Overrun, that will never happen again. If we run out of time, if we have too many topics included in the subscription tier will be access to the overrun which will be an additional 30, 40, 60, 120 whatever it takes, minutes to get to all of the topics in a given week so on a given show where me and Rich are you know, busy talking about the ballcock in my toilet or you know uh, whatever the case may be and we run out of time and can't review the big Dragon Gate show it'll go on the overrun and if you're a subscriber, you can listen to it there. So that's one uh, idea that is set in stone. Um, one other thing will be f- that is for sure set in stone is the return of Lanza Unfiltered. Lanza Unfiltered is coming back. And it will be behind a paywall, but it is coming back. It'll also be potentially on a higher tier, but it's coming back. And we've got a million other ideas too, uh, themed shows, um, some of the uh, long-running features on the flagship that people have enjoyed that we just don't have time to get to anymore because we're always talking about news. Um, whether it's me and Rich, uh, uh, you know, um, um, recommending matches to each other and then you know reviewing them, whatever. We've got a million ideas. It's all going to be laid out way more eloquently than I'm explaining it now once we finalize the deal, uh, the details and hammer it out but it's coming very soon probably in the next couple of days once we decide what service we're going to use and all those sorts of things it's going to be cheap it's not going to cost you a million dollars it's not going to be $25 a month anything like that a couple bucks a month maybe one or two different tiers that's it it's not going to be super complicated bonus content Let me see what else I could tell you guys safely. That we're doing for sure. Yeah, the behind the paywall, we may bring interviews back. We may bring guests on the show. That's not something we do um, for the regular weekly flagship uploads of pre audio boom. Classic shows. Joe and Rich recommend matches to each other. That's how it will be awkwardly titled. You might get that elusive Starcade 91 review. Mailbags. Theme shows. Uh, Instant reaction. Live sh- uh, major show reviews. Summerslam ends. Me and Rich do 50 minutes. Boom. Right after the show ends. Pop it up. Subscribers only. But again, nothing about the show you're listening to now changes. Maybe we'll do breaking news, I don't know. G1 finals end. Rich wakes up early in the morning. We review it right then and there. It's up in an hour. There's a lot of different possibilities. A lot of different things that we're not doing now. Either because of time constraints or whatever. It becomes a lot easier we're being paid to do it. Let's be honest here. So, um and again, this is something that people have been asking for. I mean, for years, and, and you've heard us talk about it. We've just never been a fan. It's mostly been me. I mean, you know, it, it's it's not like I'm being drag kicking and screaming. It's not like Rich has been begging me to do something like this. I mean, it it, it wasn't super important to him, but um I've kind of come around on the idea provided we are providing fresh content, that's very important to me. I do not want donations. I want to know that I'm being paid to produce something. And it's not going to be one of these, you know, shitty, you know, oh, we can't do the show unless we get this and now. That's bullshit. Okay? It's three hours out of the week to talk about something that we love already. Okay? We can we can do the show without the donations. Okay? It's please. Anyone who tells you that's full of shit. But hey, you know, I I think it's a good idea. It gives people a chance to give back without me feeling guilty about taking a donation because then we're producing additional content. And we think we could have a lot of fun with it. We can be uh and and you guys know this isn't a reverent show, and we could be even uh you know, more reverent, you know, behind a paywall. A little bit looser. Imagine a show being a little bit looser. No, but it'll be for the hardcore. It'll be for the hardcore Voices of Wrestling fan who can't get enough for some reason of Joe and Rich. And it could be a sneaky way. For you guys that want to do the donations, who've been begging me to donate, this is a sneaky way to donate. Okay, okay, Joe. We'll buy a subscription. You might not ever listen to the shows. But now you've got your outlet to donate if you want to do that. But I will feel better about myself if I'm producing some content. So anyway, that's something we're kicking around. Obviously, it's still in the planning stages. um, But we were confident enough to where we know that it's going to happen so that we can make this announcement. We've been dropping hints on Twitter and things like that. Something's going to happen in that direction. Uh, It is coming. So... uh, You know, if you want more Voices of Wrestling, you will get it very soon. And if I don't move this along, uh, we're going to have to move uh, Clash of Champions to the overrun. I'm running out of time here. Uh, Ring of Honor Final Battle is coming up this weekend. About half of you will hear this before the show. About half will hear it after. I watched, I think, four episodes of Ring of Honor TV um, to catch up, and I saw the entire build for this show basically a month's worth of build for this show uh, just a few hours ago, actually, last night. So I'm all caught up. I have to say, Ring of Honor did a pretty good job building this show. All of the key matches were very well built. Am I interested in all of the matches? I'm not. So maybe that's kind of contradictory. Maybe they didn't do a good job building the match. But see, here's the thing. The Briscoes are facing Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer. And I have no interest in Bully Ray. I have had no interest in Bully Ray ever. I'm an original ECW arena guy going there as a teenager. And I've never been into Bully Ray at any point in his career. Maybe for about 10 months in TNA when he first rolled out the Bully Ray character. Uh, in the early stages of aces and eights before that jumped to shark, Bully Ray was interesting for about 10 months of a 20-year career. I have no interest in this match, but I can't sit here and tell you that the build hasn't been good. The angles have been tremendous. The Briscoes have been fantastic. The only critique I would have is Bully Ray probably gave about 19 different serious voice retirement speeches. They really overdid it on the retirement speeches. You really could have gotten away with one and then shot the angle. The other critique is Jokov is now in love with seeing himself on TV. He is just Jokov has interjected himself in this angle and he just loves being on TV. I'm telling you, the heel turn and the main event push are coming for Jokov. This guy is a mark for himself. I'm telling you. There and he has no business on TV. So that'll be the Briscoes versus Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer in a New York street fight. Good build, and I know there's people looking forward to that. I'm just not one of them. The Addiction versus War Machine. They've got a little nice uh, feud going. This isn't just a random match that was thrown together, there is an issue there. War Machine, of course, is finishing up in New Japan and Ring of Honor. So the Addiction will probably win that one. Matt Taven versus Will Ospreay. Now, you know, the old special attraction match. Now, this is billed as a special attraction match. Ospreay almost never works Ring of Honor. I don't know why they signed him to a contract if they were never going to use him. If they can't get dates on him, the rare occasions when they do get dates on him, I don't know why he's not billed as... Well, this is a special attraction match, but he should be billed as a bigger deal. He should be brought in as a title challenger. He should... I mean, because he's one of the most talented people in the world. You know, and he's working mid-card here. He's probably going to put Taven over. There's a big rumor going around, as I record this, it may be, you know, official news by the time you guys are listening, that Will Ospreay is going to work WWN at WrestleMania weekend. Which means his Ring of Honor contract is is probably coming to an end and he's not planning on re-signing. So Taven will probably win this. You know, when Osprey and Skrull came into the company on the UK tour last year, I thought they were introduced to the company brilliantly. Ospreay won the television title. Skrull beat him a couple nights later. Instant impact. Here's these new talents. They're great. They're winning titles, they're doing it in front of their home fans, they're over like motherfuckers, they're big deals, and away we go. Marty Scurll joined Bullet Club. He's done great in Ring of Honor. I know people are down on Marty Scurll's year. He had a good year in Ring of Honor. His TV matches have all been excellent. When I look over my notes for the year and I I, I do my you know dorky calculations and all that, stuff, he may be my Ring of Honor wrestler of the year. He's been that good. He's definitely in the conversation. Will Ospreay has been a ghost. You can't find Will Ospreay on a Ring of Honor show with a search party. They never booked the guy. I don't know what the hell is going on there. Maybe he, they, you know, they knew they had limited dates or whatever. But take advantage of the dates you have, and a match, against, a match against a match against Matt Taven is not taking advantage of your dates. It's not. What is this? What is that, Matt? What does it mean? I assume Taven's just going to beat him, and Ospreay's going to leave the territory. Maybe Ospreay wins and they give him, you know, a last little push before he does finish up. I don't know, but, the, the, you know, it's just Will Spray has not been used well by Ring of Honor at all. That is just not utilizing an asset. It, it's incredible to me. Totally wasted. Then we got a bunch of title matches. The ROH six-man tag team titles. Adam Page and the Young Bucks defend against Flip Gordon, Dragon Lee, and Teton. Flip Gordon has been feuding with the Bullet Club on TV. He scored a big singles win over Adam Page, but then got attacked by Cody. I'm sorry, he got attacked by the Bucks. That's what set this match up. Ring of Honor sort of using Freebird rules with these six-man tag team titles, but it'll be Page and the Bucks here. Flip Gordon, Dragon Lee, and Teton. Look, that match is going to be bonkers. It's the Bucks, it's Dragon Lee, it's Teton, it's Flip Gordon. That's what you do with guys like that. This is the kind of stuff they should be doing with Will Ospreay. But again, really good build there as they slowly move Flip Gordon up the card. Now, we'll see if that push stalls at some point. But they are slowly moving Flip Gordon up the card. Very talented guy. I'd like to see him in best of the super juniors next year. Television uh, television title is a four-corner elimination. Kenny King is the champion. He beat Kushida. Shane Taylor, Silas Young, and Punishment Martinez are the opponents. They all had to win qualifying matches to get into this thing. Shane Taylor is a guy – look, I know that Keith Lee was always the real prospect of that team. I know Keith Lee is the guy where everybody said, how did they let him go and keep Shane Taylor – And I don't disagree with that, obviously. Keith Lee is one of the breakout stars of 2017. But Shane Taylor has been sneaky good in Ring of Honor if you've been paying attention. Particularly he's improved his character work. Silas Young, good solid veteran hand. And Punishment Martinez, you know that's my guy. I like me some Punishment Martinez. He's a little awkward sometimes. But he's had a good year. Not a great year, but a good year. And you know, it wouldn't be the worst idea to put the TV title on him. Another guy who they're slowly pushing, like Flip Gordon. These are the kind of guys that Ring of Honor has to get behind, you know? They're fresh faces. Maybe they catch on. Your Flip Gordons and your Punishment Martinez's, guys like that. Motor City Machine Guns against Best Friends tag team title match listen there's no reason this can't be great this you know it's either it'll probably either be this match or the six man uh, title match you know the Bucks and Page versus Gordon Lee and Teton those are going to be the two best matches on the show one or the other will be the best match on the show I'd be very surprised if that's not the case you always have to consider Willow Spray in any match, but I just don't have a lot of faith in Matt Taven. This really could be a very good bell-to-bell show. I was down on this show when I saw the card announced, but then when I watched the TV, I got more and more into it, and now I'm into it. I st- Look, there's things I still would have done differently, but I'm into it, and I understand the motivations behind all of the matches. Now, I think Motor City Machine Guns and Best Friends could have a, 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 an awesome, you know, Trent's been on fire. Uh, Best Friends they just had that good match against uh, Death Juice at the World Tag League Finals. Motor City Machine Guns always bring it. They all know each other very well. It's gonna be a really good match. Non-title. Marty Skrull is the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. He faces Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal is not a junior. So, this is non-title. They're billing it as a dream match. And I don't know about you, but when I think about dream matches and matches in wrestling that I am dreaming to see, I don't think Marty Scurll versus Jay Lethal is one of them. Do you think, that this is an honest question, do you think there's a person on earth who considers Marty Scurll versus Jay Lethal a dream match? Like anyone on the planet, one per I'm just asking for one person. I don't think there is. That's not a dream match. That's Jay Lethal doesn't have a match. Marty Scurll doesn't have a match. So, let's just put them in a match. What are the odds that Jay Lethal goes for a lethal injection and gets caught in the chicken wing? Are they 100%? And your main events. Cody defends the Ring of Honor World Title against Dalton Castle. A lot of people think Dalton Castle's winning this match. A lot of people think Dalton Castle should win this match they did a great video package on Dalton Castle on the go-home show, which everyone should go out of their way to see. I think everyone is hoping Dalton Castle... I think New Japan fans are hoping Dalton Castle wins because then Cody goes into Wrestle Kingdom titleless, And then Kota Ibushi could win that match. Because I think if Cody's the champion... Look, they're not putting the Ring of Honor title on Kota Abushi, at least you wouldn't think and they're not going to do non-title and beat Cody you wouldn't think so we're all going to have to sit there and watch Cody beat Kota Abushi, which is kind of fucking weird and bullshit and just fucking weird so let's go Dalton I think it'll be a good show. I mean, I'm looking up and down this card. I mean, I even think, you know, I'm not particularly into the Briscoes versus Bully Ray and Dreamer, but there's, look, if that all breaks right, I mean, it's going to be a wild brawl. gonna be a really good match. Addiction War Machine should be fine at minimum. Taven Ospreay has Ospreay. The six-man match is going to be off the charts. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be bonkers. The Bucks aren't going to have a bad match. And it's not the kind of match where they're going to do comedy shtick. It's kind of a, it's a heated feud with Flip Gordon. you got the great luchadores involved too. Dragon Lee, one of the best in the world. That's going to be a great match. The four-way for the television title, look. It can go either way. I could see that being painfully average. But if everything connects and everything clicks, that could be a good match. The tag team title match, Motor City Machine Guns and Best Friends, that could be a great match. Skirl and lethal? Eh, I don't know. Again, I could go either way. I could see that being. I could see that being a bad match if things fall, if don't fall properly. But it could be a pretty good match too. I don't think the ceiling's very high. And then Cody Dalton Castle will be what it is. I you know, Cody has a ceiling. So, you know, the undercard is stronger, for sure. But look, I I bet you this is going to be a pretty good card. The problem is it has zero buzz. Ring of Honor, for whatever reason, has zero buzz. And it's funny because they've never done better business. What a weird dichotomy. This is a company that has zero buzz, yet they're selling out buildings left and right. And they sold out Hammerstein for this show in record time. In record time. And think of what they've run in that building and in that room in their history. Numerous final battles. Kenta versus Nigel McGuinness. Uh, Brian Danielson versus Takeshi Morishima. Um, you know, it, it, they've run a lot of big shows in that building. This was the fastest sellout. This company has never done better business, and yet everybody hates the booking. And it has no buzz. Although, you know, I think that's unfair. I think that's a bit unfair, because when we went on Twitter and asked people um, to, to to you know rate this show one to ten in terms of anticipation levels and buzz, there were a lot of ones and twos and zeros and those sorts of things. But there were a lot of eights and nines. People who watch Ring of Honor on a week in, week out basis seem to enjoy it a lot. And obviously, your Bullet Club t-shirt-wearing fan loves Ring of Honor. So, good for them. They're doing well. I, you know, that's great. Any promotion that's doing well is great for wrestling. I like the TV. I've come away from, I watch the TV in bunches. I watch a lot of shows in bunches, a lot of uh, wrestling shows in bunches. Uh, there's not that many, like, Raw I'll watch weekly, but SmackDown I watch in bunches. NXT and 205 Live I watch in bunches. Ring of Honor I watch in bunches. Impact I watch in bunches. And the one thing I could say is I really enjoyed the build to this show. Um, And I think Ring of Honor, you know, when it comes for the year-end awards and whatnot, I'm going to vote it the best television show. I think it's been the most enjoyable show, wrestling show for me over the course of this year. It's very similar to NXT in that it has good, simple booking but the bell to bell action on ring of honor TV is better than NXT because there's less squash matches. And, um, you know, I I enjoy NXT too. It'll, it'll be my number two, but they're very similar shows. They're both old school in their approach. The booking, uh, continuity on the ring of honor TV show can get a little wonky. Sometimes it was strong in the lead up to this show, but at times it can get off the tracks a little and a little wonky. NXT Is just solidly booked from week to week. It may be simple, but it's solidly booked from week to week and solidly booked from takeover to takeover. Whereas the Ring of Honor show gets off the tracks a little, but Ring of Honor has the better match quality. On a, you know, match-in, match-out basis, um, all things being equal, the match quality on Ring of Honor is better. Now, I will say, you know, on something like Monday Night Raw, I think Raw has had In a year where WWE has not had a good in-ring year. Or one of their better ones. um, The match quality on Raw really isn't that bad. The problem with Raw... Is it's too fucking long. And it serves too many masters. But we've been down that road a million times. They gotta do the three hours. That's how they're making their money. USA wants the third hour. But it's a variety show. And... You can watch a Raw and really like two or three matches, but because the rest of the show bores you to tears or it's comedy you don't like, or it's a bunch of McMahons, or it's just other stuff that turns you off, those two or three matches that you really liked kind of get lost in the ether, and you just leave the show in a negative like, you know, with a negative taste in your mouth. Whereas on these hour-long shows like Ring of Honor, I mean, you know, I watched a couple Ring of Honor. I watched four Ring of Honor episodes last night, and I saw one match I didn't like. It was Caprice Coleman versus uh, Kenny King. And it went 20 minutes, and it was was bad. But I enjoyed everything else on all the other shows on some level. Now, if you extend this Ring of Honor television show to three hours, there's going to be tons of shit on this too. But I think the sweet spot for a company like Ring of Honor is a one-hour show. And realistically, the sweet spot for Raw, it's probably two hours. I think SmackDown is a pretty easy watch. Maybe 90 minutes. It's a big roster, so you you don't want it constricted to an hour. You can't get enough done. You probably need two hours on Raw. You can probably get away with 90 minutes on SmackDown. Impact has been a very underrated show since Dixie's been out of, since the ownership, since Anthem took over, Impact is not just an easy watch. It's it's an enjoyable watch. A lot of weeks, some weeks it's dry. Two hours is perfect for Impact. You know, when Impact ends, it's like when you've you've had enough. Right when it's ending, it's like it's 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 good. It's it's two hours is good. NXT one hour is enough. You don't need more than an hour for NXT. Two o five live forty eight minutes or whatever is enough. It's it's perfect for the size of the roster and everything else. So I think that's where Raw kind of takes a hit. You know I'm sure Raw had more good matches than any other television show this year, but there's just surrounded by so much shit, and it's so long, and some of the storylines are so bad. It, it's just everything gets lost. All right, let's run down Clash of Champions. That's coming up on Sunday. SmackDown brand pay-per-view. Um, not looking good on paper. A lot of stipulations. A lot of stipulations on this show. If you like stipulations, you'll be into this Clash of Champions show. I'm most interested in the main event because I think this can go... you know? Look, AJ Styles defends against Jinder Mahal why would they take the title off of Jinder Mahal before they go to India and then put the title right back on them when they return from India? I don't have a logical answer for that. However, it is something that I could totally see this company doing. Would not shock me in the least if Jinder Mahal won the title back on this show. It would be illogical, but I could totally see it. Conspiracy theorists will say it was so Triple H could Beat Jinder Mahal in India. I disagree. That was originally two shows. Triple H was not originally the match. Uh, they wouldn't jump through all of those hoops and everything. It just doesn't. It doesn't add up. At the, on the same token, I could see AJ beating Jinder Mahal in this match, and beating him all the way back to the prelims. Um, it hasn't worked. The Jinder Mahal thing. I, I could see them being stubborn and going back to it. It would just be odd that they yanked the title off him before India. You'd think you'd want him to go to India as champion if you were going to stay the course. I could see AJ winning. Look, I said it a few weeks ago. I would not be shocked if Jinder Mahal is cut. I know that sounds absurd. He's in a main event. He's in a title match. He was champion for five months or whatever it was, four or five months. How can they cut this guy? But what do you do with this guy if you have truly lost faith in him? As the Indian superstar, as the champion of the brand, what else is there to do with him? He was a preliminary jobber before this. It's not as if they saw value in him in any other capacity before they decided they wanted to make an Indian superstar. So if the idea here is just to put Jinder in the rear view and let Styles uh, beat him and, and, and bury him, then what value does Jinder have beyond that? That's why I think Jinder has a good chance of winning the match. I mean, um, and winning the title back. Because it's just, this is so illogical that it almost makes WWE logic to put the title back on him. Because this company always does things like this that make no sense. Baron Corbin defends the U.S. title in a three-way with Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler. Ugh. Charlotte defends against Natalya in a Lumberjill match. There's nothing worse than a Lumberjack match. Nothing. Worst stip. And I hate all stips. I'm grumpy. I don't like stipulations. This is like the worst stip, though. The Lumberjack match is almost always bad. The Usos defend against The New Day. We don't know what combination yet. Shelton Benjamin in Chad Gable. And Rusev in Aiden English. It's good to see Shelton and Gable and Rusev and English in the mix a little bit here. We've seen plenty of Uso New Day matches. I wouldn't have complained if they did another one, but I completely understand wanting to mix it up. So, really have no problem with that. Randy Orton and Shinsuke Nakamura take on Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. This is an overbooked mess. There's two referees, Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan. If Owens, and, if Owens and Zayn lose, they're going to be fired. We know that's not going to happen. These stipulations are stupid. Look, again, WWE serves many masters, okay? There's probably some children, some casual fans, who will be into the idea of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn potentially being fired. But listeners to this show know full well these guys aren't going anywhere, so these stipulations always fall flat with the type of fan that would listen to, to this show here. Um, so it obviously tips off the finish. But the finish is less important to what's the next step in the storyline with Shane McMahon and Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. That's what's important here. And, you know, with Daniel Bryan in the mix, will there be, uh, you know, friction between Bryan and McMahon... So that's what you want to look for there. We've got Breeze Dango against the Bludgeon Brothers. So Breeze Dango will be doing a job to the Bludgeon Brothers to continue putting them over. And um, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do when uh, War Machine gets there because it's the same gimmick. And the pre-show match is Zack Ryder versus Mojo Rawley. As the uh, hype bros explode. Look. There's a lot of things I like in wrestling. That are guilty ple Not guilty pleasures. But things that other people may not particularly enjoy. I love me some undercard tag team matches. So I'll be into that Breeze Dango versus Bludgeon Brothers match. Everybody knows my love for 80's WWE tag team wrestling. I will watch the Killer Bees face the Ruju brothers all day long. I will watch the Conquistadors and the Young Stallions go at it. I can watch that kind of stuff all day. And the other thing I love is preliminary feuds. I love that stuff. I loved Yoshitatsu feuding with with, uh, with, uh, Bone Soldier. I just find it interesting when they give preliminary wrestlers something to do that means something. Instead of just doing a job or having a meaningless match that has no story attached to it. So Zack Ryder versus Mojo Rawley with his dumb prelim tag team that broke up and they're cutting their dumb promos against each other. And Zack just cannot stand Mojo. and I like that. That's a match with a little bit of something behind it. I like a nice little prelim feud. I like Trent feuding with Yujiro. And vanquishing him and moving up. I like Yoshitatsu and Captain New Japan forming an unsuccessful tag team. Yoshitatsu getting tired of his shit. Captain New Japan getting tired of his shit. Turning heel. Becoming bone soldier. And having some of the worst matches you'll ever see in your life. I like that stuff. It's fun to me. So Rich isn't here and I can't ask him if he's going to watch the pre-show match he probably won't but I'll be watching Zack Ryder and Mojo Rawley and as always I'll be reviewing this card for Fighting Spirit Magazine I'll give them their eh bi-weekly plug I guess it is as a loyal employee you know, in the current issue of Fighting Spirit Magazine, I was—I uh, wrote a long-form feature on Gabe Sapolsky. There's another plug. Everybody should read that. I don't know the issue number off the top of my head. It's the current issue of Fighting Spirit Magazine. Joe Lanza going long-form, writing a feature on the Gabester. If you've read that, I'd like some feedback. If you haven't read it, go read it and give me some feedback. You can tell me if it stinks. I think I did a good job. Well, there you go. We hit our time mark here, huh? No overrun this week. Rich will be back next week. We'll review Clash of the Champions for sure. Maybe Final Battle if we both get a chance to watch it. And then uh, you can expect the Wrestle Kingdom coverage to really ramp up as we get closer and closer. Less than a month now to uh, January 4th. I'd like to thank Dollar Shave Club. Visit dollarshaveclub.com voices. And SeatGeek. Code VOW, $20 off of your very first SeatGeek purchase. That's going to get you like basically a free ticket, you know? That's like one free ticket to something, $20. That's not bad at all. Everybody should take advantage of that. There's no reason not to. They're not even going to hear this plug, so I'm not even like kissing their ass right now. But I mean, $20 off, I mean basically you can take your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your kid or whatever – you know, to go see a game or a concert or something, sit in the cheap seats and one of the seats is free. I mean you can't beat that. Alright, I got nothing left. I'm kinda of just killing time now. For the absent rich crates, I'm Joe Lanza. We'll hear you little we'll, uh talk to you next week. How'd I botch the finish? You know what that was just was? That was like Kenta and Davey Richards in Houston in 2009. I did a tremendous show, I mean a tremendous show, almost two and a half hours, and then I'm tripping over my words at the finish, you know, very frustrating. It's like Tim Storm versus uh, Nick Aldis one. Speaking of which, we got to get back to some NWA talk, but I didn't want to do that without Rich. A lot's going on in the uh, the National Wrestling Alliance, and there's a lot going on that I do not like. So uh, maybe we'll have to make time for that next week. Who knows? Maybe it'll be part of the first overrun. Nothing's going to draw money out of the consumer's pockets like some NWA talk, right? All right, guys, I'm out of here.
0: Here it comes again, Lunch.